Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall, shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So we are um, back in the Psalms, and tonight we are in Psalm 126. And uh, this is one of my favorite song <clears throat> psalms. And if I'm honest with you, I'm not exactly sure why this is one of my favorite psalms. Um, it's honestly, if, if, if those of you like who maybe visited Facebook before tonight, if you saw the song that I posted, um, Molly Pardon is a singer-songwriter I really like. She sings Psalm 126, and so it's kind of stuck in me that way. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons I really love this psalm. But uh, I also think it's because when I um, was in graduate school and seminary, I, I grew like a major interest in the topic of uh, faith and work, um, of, of vocation, what we're to do with our lives. And, and it's for multiple reasons, really. But a few that kind of come to mind are, one is just the older that I grew and, and the older that I got, the more I looked around the world, like as a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 19, and the more I began to like wrestle with like what the world is and who we are as people in the world and what are cities and spaces and all these various things, uh, I, I saw that there were so many spaces, uh, so many seemingly good endeavors worth putting our time into, um, like medicine, like architecture, like music, art, law, politics, technology, on and on and on. And Christianity uh, had to account for that. Um, Christianity couldn't be this narrow religion whose goal was to spend just kind of endless hours in a worship trance. Uh, and if you were like really going to ascend to the heights, then you would just go into full-time ministry. Like that was just the gist of what being a Christian was. Um, and of course, ministry is great, but I think... Uh, uh, I definitely think more people should go into ministry. I hope um, that many of you consider the RUF internship, for example. But um, the more I thought about it, like I realized that all of life is ministry in one way or another. And that includes every vocation that God calls us into. Um, work has its purpose in God's grand plan for the world. And it always has. It's always been multifaceted in that way. The second thing that I was uh, drawn to, and this is probably why I actually love Psalm 126 so much, is that uh, to engage God's world now in, um, in this fallen moment uh, through any vocation means <clears throat> that inevitably you will come face to face with the brokenness of the world. So uh, to practice law right, means you come face to face with injustice. To practice medicine means that you come face to face uh, with death and decay. Uh, to practice politics means 
that you come face to face with corruption and chaos in culture and society. And even to write poetry, right? Anything that you think of, to write poetry, one has to come face to face with the dissonance and distance uh, between the fractures and fulfillments of our lives and the world's, right? So in other words, in our work, we come to know the world and all its warts. And the challenge of that is, can we know the world and still love the world? Can we know the world and still love the world? Can you come face to face with the pitfalls of the world, um, of your relationships, of your own heart, or even the church, for example, uh, without falling into despair? Can you still love the world? Can you love people? Can you love yourself? And Psalm 126 has a great way of capturing that reality of the Christian life for us. And it offers us a way forward on the road. And though we weep now, as the psalm says, joy awaits us. So, you know, one of the goals, uh, the things that I, I find so beautiful about the Psalms of Ascent is, is it's kind of giving us this metaphor of the Christian life as a journey or traveling along a road or on our way, ascending a hill, so to speak, to God, to be in union and communion with God. Uh, but it captures all the various parts of that, that road trip of that journey, of that pilgrimage. And so part of this life that we live is a working life. Uh, We work on the road. And so tonight we're going to explore this topic of work, this topic of vocation, and how it factors into the mission of God for the world and how also we ought to think about it as we live uh, in between the times of promise and fulfillment, where we know uh, that Christ came and Christ died, and Christ rose again, and Christ has now ascended. But yet we still await, we, we live in the shadow of that promise and that reality, but we still await a time where the fullness of that promise will be fulfilled in all of life. And so I'll unpack these as we go, and hopefully as we go, if anything is kind of confusing now or off, hopefully it will become more clear. Um, I want to start, though, before we dive actually into the text, uh, I want to start by giving you just a brief uh, primer on work, a brief, broad understanding of what work and vocation is uh, in the Bible. What is God's purpose for it? Uh, I want us to take a look at that purpose because I think uh, that most Christians kind of dichotomize their lives. Um, on the one hand, we have like our normal day-to-day lives, school, work, groceries, exercise, etc., whatever it is. And then on the other hand, we have our spiritual lives. Um, we, uh, it's like the secret stuff uh, that we do in quiet times and on Sunday mornings. And the two like functionally never intersect as we think about these two things. But that is not the vision that uh, the Bible gives us of the purpose of the world and our role in the world as image bearers of God. And so I want us to look really quickly, before we jump into Psalms, I want us to look really quickly at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. So it's the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible, and I'm just going to read that to you really quick. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So I want you to notice a few things about that passage really quickly in Genesis. The first thing is that I want you to notice these words, dominion and subdue. What makes us human in part is the fact that we are image bearers of God. And so that that means in one sense that the closest thing, I've said this before, uh, the closest thing that there is to a God that is not God himself is a human being. We are created with immense capacity to do good and evil because we, unlike any other part of creation, we bear the image of the invisible God, me and you. We are what, what's uh, been called vice regents of the king of heaven. We are ambassadors. We're his ambassadors, and we are to carry out the work of the king. And that work, in part, is to hold dominion over the earth, to subdue it to be fruitful, to multiply, not to abuse it, not to destroy it, not to contaminate it. Uh, In a word, uh, to have dominion over the the world means that we are to tease out all of the God-glorifying potential that's in the world. We are to unfold the wonder of God's handiwork that's woven into the crevices of creation. You guys follow me on that? That's kind of the vision, the creation, the cultural mandate, if you will. And uh, maybe now you see why, for example, uh, with this kind of idea, the Christian idea of work and vocation, why something even like architecture, anything really, is a deeply Christian endeavor because it is unfolding the potential of creation, both for the glory of God the Creator and for the good of our neighbors, for the life of the world, right? Secondly, that's the first thing I want you to notice. Uh, Secondly, I want you to notice uh, this command, um, this cultural mandate, as some call it, as I mentioned before, comes before sin has entered the world, right? So we got this picture of dominion and subduing the earth and like everything is made for us and everything that God's created, he's called it good. And this all happens before chapter three in Genesis and that's where the fall comes in. All of this happens before sin enters the world. And so, The point I'm trying to make is that from the very beginning, we were called out ones. That's what the language of vocation means. Vox is like the Latin word for that. Uh, We had work and it was good. It was a blessing. It was part of human flourishing. It wasn't just a pain. 
But if we fast forward, right, <clears throat> that's the very first pages of the Bible. If we fast forward to Psalm 126, we are now dealing with work in the midst of a broken world. Part of life on the road is like, hey, you, you, you go to college and you graduate college and you get a job. And as the psalmist says, you are now sowing in tears. You're sowing in tears. And so there's two things that I want us to look at tonight in Psalm 126. Two things that I think that it points out about work, about vocation. Um, and the first thing uh, that it points out that I, I feel like is really important for us is that work is a witness to the coming kingdom. Our work is a witness to the coming kingdom. I want you to see that this psalm is a reflection on the work that we do on the road. And while this sowing, while this work is being done, the psalmist is pointing to the works of God throughout redemptive history. So it's kind of hard to see this framing a bit of 126, but there's like this reflection, this extended meditation that the psalmist is doing, reflecting on God's interaction in history while it's focusing on the work it's doing in the here and now, sowing in tears, but reaping uh, with joy uh, in the days to come. And uh, it may be hard to catch, but I want you to see this because the psalmist is working in the midst of tears and sorrows and all the dangers that come to us on the road. And in order to keep going, in order to keep moving forward, he's reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past. He's reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past. So look at verse one. Verse one says, when the Lord, the very first verse, right? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. This is what keeps the psalmist going. It's the faithfulness of God in the past. It's his recollection of what God has done in Israel's past. And this is really the entire story of the Bible. It is looking to what God has promised to do with the world and us continuing to participate in the ways that he has called us. And the fuel that we find to keep going is looking back on his faithfulness to us in all things. And so as, as we do, like the psalmist, as we reflect on that, th this language... Um, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys have ever had this moment, but like, as we as we reflect on that, we are made like dreamers. We we can dream of the world that is to come, of the purpose of our lives, of the purpose of our loves, of the purpose of our relationships, of the purpose of our work. And I don't know if that language, like dreamer, really resonates with you, but it does with me because I feel like in moments I have that. I, I think often. I mean, honestly, even when I when I listen to Molly Parton's song. Um, of Psalm 126, there's something about reflecting on what God has done and what God will do that captures our imagination and enables us to see in the moment. Like right now, for example, um, I feel like one of the most important things for us during a, a, a global pandemic doing RUF is to pray that the Lord continually capture our dreams for how he's at work because we need a vivid imagination to see it right now because it's so easy to let the tears drown out where God's at work. Our work, what the psalmist is saying, is that our work 
is not in vain because God's work is not in vain. God's work cannot be thwarted. And so as we work, we work with a purpose because we know that the world is not the way that it should be, but we also know that it won't always be this way either. So as we lean into God's call to work in his world for his glory and for our good, we are ultimately what we are ultimately doing is witnessing to the world that is to come. We're witnessing to the kingdom of God. As the psalmist sows, even in tears, right, his heart is taken back to the promises of God to make all things new. You see this language uh, in verse four, restore our fortune, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. And uh, he is thinking back, his heart is taken back to the promise of God to make all things new, like a desert that's suddenly filled with streams and plants are literally growing overnight because water has rushed into this barren land. And as we sow, our work is also a witness to these promises of God, to that coming kingdom, to that final work of God when he makes all things new. And it's a witness because it witnesses to the coming kingdom because as the psalmist works, it captures his imagination. It makes him dream again of the promises of God. And as we do good work, it not only has that effect on us like it does the psalmist, uh, when we do good work and lean into God's call in our lives, our work captures the imagination of the onlooking world. It witnesses to them of the world that is to come. And so, you know, uh, Andrew Peterson, I talk about a lot, one of my favorite singer-songwriters. He has a song called Windows in the World. And that's really what the psalmist is capturing here, right? That our work, when done Christianly, is a window in the world of the world that is to come. And, it, and it's, it's a window for us to look through to remember the promises of God in the world that is to come. And it's a window for the onlooking world to look through to long for the world that is to come, to come to Christ, right? To place their faith that there's a God who actually will make all things new. And so, you know, if you think about this in even little moments, like that's when, um, you know, this is even a little moment, but like when a life is saved or, or like a certain piece of art like captures you or a song or a piece of architecture, like a building or something, it points beyond itself to a world that we were made for. That is the purpose of our work. So that, that's the first thing that I want you to see of many things that we could pull out of this song is that our work witnesses to the coming kingdom, right? But the second thing that I want you to see, which is just as important, is that Psalm 126 shows us that our work is always waiting for the coming kingdom. So our work witnesses to the coming kingdom, but our work is also waiting for the com coming kingdom. Now, why do I point this out? What do I mean and why do I think this is actually important for us to know? Um, I point this out because uh, we need to know a couple of things. One, we need to know the limitations of our work and what happens uh, when we don't know the limitations of our work. And the important thing to know is seen in the verse half, the first half of verse four, when he says, um, or sorry, the first half of verse five, uh, those who sow in tears, those who sow in tears. And here's what that means. Whatever work you find, 
whatever vocation that God calls you to, you need to know that tears will always accompany it. You need to know that tears will always accompany it. And these these tears, they can be literal or they can be metaphorical, but what it means is that there's always hardship in our work. Toil will always visit us. There's toil in our work. And the reason why the tears remain is because we are waiting for the kingdom to come. Even though our work witnesses to that kingdom, listen, this is really crucial and important distinction. Even though our work witnesses to that kingdom, it does not bring that kingdom. Only Jesus brings that kingdom in its fullness. And until Jesus returns and brings that kingdom in its fullness, we will sow in tears. Our life on the road will be filled with tears. Not always. There will be laughter and joy, as the psalm suggests, but it'll be tearful as well. And the challenge is that as we lean into God's call in our lives, will we know the world and all its words? And can we still love the world in a hopeful and joyful expectation of the world that is to come? That's why it's so important to understand the limitations of our work, because you sow in tears, uh, because if you sow in tears without the expectant joy that this psalmist has, then you will inevitably do one of two things. You'll inevitably do one of two things. One, you will either grow callous, you will become hopeless, and you will become complacent, and you will probably just quit because you see no progress. Or, two, you will become incredibly angry, and you'll be vitriolic, and you'll be graceless, and you'll be unforgiving, and you'll be hateful. And if I can just be really frank with you here for a minute, this is why why so much of the woke movement, of wokeism, is full of anger. For as many things as being woke, uh, as many things that it's pointing out that need to be addressed, that are worthy of making progress on, sorry, my voice is going crazy. For as many things as like pointing out and unearthing, um, it's, it's full of anger. The manifestation, the expression of it that we see now is full of anger. And it's why it's bred this thing called cancel culture where there's no opportunity for forgiveness. There's no opportunity for repentance. There's no opportunity for change. There's no opportunity for any growth. It is a firing squad of hate because it doesn't understand that even as we work for justice and peace and equality and so on and et cetera, we also wait for the fullness of God's promise to make all things new. When we work in God's world while denying God's redemptive promise, what we're ultimately doing is pretending that we are God. That's why it's a dead end. That's why as important as it is, I mean, you see this when you hold these intentions, the Bible calls us into work that will bring tears to our eyes. But it, it calls us to, like the psalmist here, to an expectant joy because our hope is not placed ultimately in our ability, to, our ability to enact a perfect justice or our ability to enact 
uh, perfect health, uh, mental health, or whatever it may be. Our, our hope is ultimately rooted in a God who will make all things new, not ultimately in what we can do if we just work hard enough. I mentioned um, at the beginning the account in Genesis, right, where we get this, this first picture of what um, work in God's world actually looks like. And the world there starts as a garden, the Garden of Eden, and we are called to work in God's world and to unfold and tease out all of the God-glorifying potential. And that's how the Bible begins. Uh, But the Bible ends in the book of Revelation. And as this story unfolds, uh, as creation unfolds in all of its beauty, what we see at the end of the Bible, in the last pages of the Bible, is not a garden, but a city. A city that has been developed out of God's world, a new Jerusalem, right? We go from a garden to a beautiful city, but in this new city, everything is still there. Everything is still there. We are there, embodied. We're not bodiless spirits roaming around on clouds playing harps. We're embodied people. God is there with his people. We are in a place. We are in a home. Like we have finished the journey. We have been on the road and we've arrived at the destination. We've arrived not at Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem. Our work is there. We bring the glory of of the earthly cities into the heavenly city, right? Culture is there. God's work is there in the new heavens and the new earth. There are buildings. There is art. There is music. There is worship. Everything is still there. But there's one thing that is not there, one thing that is gone, and that's tears. There's no more tears when we sow in the new heavens and the new earth. There are no more tears. The witnessing of our work, our work that beckons the new heavens and the new earth, the world that is to come, the kingdom is coming. The witnessing of our work will be over because the kingdom has come. The waiting of our work will be over because the kingdom has come. The joy of our work, the joy of our lives will remain, but the tears will be gone because the kingdom has come and Jesus has made all things new. I want to end uh, reading that passage in Revelation so that while you guys go out into your week and throughout the rest of the semester and throughout the rest of your career in college and on after that, I want to read this passage in Revelation so that while you witness to the kingdom of God as you do your homework, while you wait for the kingdom of God, even while you work, uh, I hope that this promise in the book of Revelation will help us to dream and will fill us with joy, uh, even as we wade through our own tears. So if you have a Bible, if you want want to pull it out, you can. I want you to turn to Revelation 21. Um, And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'll pray and we'll send you guys out into breakout groups.
Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for another night to gather, and we pray that these psalms would do just this in our hearts, that they would make us dream of the world that is to come, that as we reflect on the moments in our lives where maybe the tears um, won't cease, we pray that your promises will still come through to us and we can press on knowing that our work is not in vain because your work is not in vain. Knowing that our work actually witnesses to the world that is to come and lifts us up as something that's for human flourishing and that our work witnesses to the onlooking world that there's more to this life, there's more to this world than what we just see. And Lord, we pray that you would give us endurance as we wait, that we would not become frustrated uh, even as we make gains in this world for good, as we peel back corners of darkness so that light can shine in, we pray that if that work is undone, we would not lose hope, that we would wait well and trust that you indeed are making all things new. And until that day comes, we pray that your spirit would abide within us and that we would abide in you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.